Cubicle Night Noodlings recorded on the 25th of February, 2021. This is my corner of the internet where I talk about the fun things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. This is the 23rd personal pan pizza sized podcast. I haven't faded out completely yet. Life keeps me busy, so I'm going to play a little catch up. Coming up, gaming rack design and construction. Old news. OpenSUSE Breeze Dark Plasma Style and Color Scheme. B-Pi Top. Logitech K400 Plus Keyboard Water Spill Repair. EliteBook 840 G7 Running OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Retirement of my Dell Latitude D630. My OpenSUSE Corner. And a computer history retrospective on artificial intelligence from 1984. this old country song about being in a hurry to get things done and you rush and you rush until life's no fun or something like that. I must say I've been guilty of that to some degree. I've agreed to some things that made this season a bit busier than I would have liked to have had and uh, I let some things fall to the wayside. Specifically these uh, noodlings being one of those. You know some other cubicle night related things. Essentially a lot of hobby activities had to go to the back burner but now that the temperatures are up on the upswing i think i can reintroduce those hobby fun things that i enjoy doing very much i'm also kicking myself because i haven't finished a video yet on my commodore 64x or my retro computer mini itx case computer every time i sit down to work on it something goes sideways and takes my attention away from it i said i want to get it done before doing another noodling but if i continue with that path i may not ever get to another noodling until you know march or april or sometime hopefully i get that video done sooner rather than later so i'm making time now to get this done i have so much to talk about unfortunately biddle is on the hiatus for some time i do miss it so i'll fill in that space with some other things that i've been thinking about and doing it makes for a decent excuse to bring up the last few months of things i've worked on and published and you know spit them out and hopefully I get some more clicks on it the impetus for recording this today is also that I had a good friend call me out and tell me that I was pod fading. Well, Paul, here you go. I haven't faded yet. I've collected a number of gaming systems throughout my life, and there's little point in having them if they sit in a box, or using them is unnecessarily annoying, and the setup time is fun prohibitive and so forth. I was inspired by Perifractic Retro Recipes video where the computer museum he has everything so nicely laid out. I looked at my mess and I decided that I had to do something about it because the arrangement just wasn't very presentable. So I took the time to design and ultimately build a gaming rack, uh, as I call it. And I put all the, uh, the the fun things on there. The Well, I don't want to say like not super vintage, but kind of vintage. So I don't consider 90s vintage quite yet. You know, that was like five years ago, right? So I, I designed in Fusion 360 uh, the gaming rack on OpenSUSE. And then I set out to build it. It went quite well. I didn't really have any issues. But I decided when I uh, cut all the shelves that I had enough room for an additional shelf. So I redesigned some things a little bit. Uh, I ended up making a little bit of a mistake as far as uh, hole placement goes. Not a big deal. I can you know, just ignore that. It's not a big deal. I polyurethaned and then stained it or stained and polyurethaned it. And now I'm using it. I've been using it for quite some time and it's been great. It's really helped with the organization in my living room because I have a smaller house and it looks good. It's not like museum quality. It's more like a, a utility so it doesn't have quite the, the look and appeal and so forth. I had intentions of using a second monitor and maybe adding some LED lighting. None of that's happened. I do have the monitor sitting on top of it, but I just don't use it. So for the most part, the gaming rack sits in my living room. You know, the switch that's on there, my C64 Maxi's on there because that also arrived. I'm going to talk about that at some point in time too. 
and uh, and the other the other video game systems that I have, as well as my Linux PC that does you know my media watching YouTube or whatever on on the living room TV. I'm very happy with it. I'm glad I built it. I do have links to my bill of material that can be downloaded, and uh, if you would like to also get the CAD as well, you can uh, you can do that. I do enjoy making life just like a little bit more fun and enjoyable by adding some organization and and adding some utility to you know where it's needed. If something like this might improve your little world, I shouldn't say little, because your world might be big. So if something like this can improve your world, you know, feel free to use it. Maybe you too can be inspired to do something with the information. Uh, my, my good friend Yannick from the Other Side Podcast Network and Maker's Corner co-host, he has taken cues from my gaming rack design and made a server rack out of it of sorts. And uh, it looks really good. Actually, I think his looks better. Well, he, he's better at the woodworking than I am. I'm more of a hack. So I did a little thing. I'm excited about it. I created this OpenSUSE Breeze Dark Plasma style for anybody to download and install. And you can do it right from the system settings in Plasma. I'm very glad that I finally did it. It took some time. Uh, one, I had to download the, uh, or I had to install the Plasma Software Development Kit SDK, and kind of get a little smarter with Git again. But I took everything. I, I compiled it, tested it. When I say compiled, I mean just put it together, not actually ran it through a compiler. But I put everything together, uh, created an account on this thing called Pling, which used to be just you know, the KDE store, which is now more than just the KDE store. So I'm it's nice to see the whole open source community kind of, you know, pool some of their uh, resources and whatnot and make it more accessible to everybody. But anyway, the SDK allowed me to make little tweaks to to things. And then, uh, you know, it's like I took the OpenSUSE button icon and put made that as the start menu icon so that now when you flip to that style, it goes the shades, the, the dark breeze shades, but, but with green highlights that I like and the OpenSUSE button in the corner instead of the KDE logo, which nothing against the KDE logo, uh, but it's just not really, you know, it doesn't feel... It's open susa e enough to me. So I like how it looks. The the shades of green are, are calming. It, it's not nothing as bright. There's no high contrast in the in the the style. So it, it looks really good for me. And if you'd like to check it out, you can go to uh, your system settings, install new uh, plasma style. And also I have a com- a theme a light uh, a color scheme that goes with that as well. You can install that. It's also up there on pling.com or store.kd.org however you want to uh, search for that. But it's also available within the system settings under colors. And that works on uh, OpenSUSE Leap as well as Tumbleweed as of today. So the uh, apparently the style guidelines or style uh, configuration files haven't changed in the last uh, few versions of, of Plasma. So that's good. A little while ago, I did an article on BPyTop for OpenSUSE. Now it works really with anything that has Python. And I, uh, I really like it. It just has a really good look about it. Installation is pretty simple. Do it in the, uh, in the command line, uh, pip3 install, bpytop, tac tac upgrade, or dash dash, however you want to call that, but tac. It looks really good. It's actually amazing that it's a terminal application because it doesn't really look very uh, terminal-like. It looks like it could be a graphics application, but they're, they're, using, they're using characters that make it look, you know, very, uh, I don't know, graphic is the right word, but it looks really good. It doesn't look just like a terminal application. I really appreciate how it shows and, and, and breaks down the information. It even shows your, your battery. Uh, it's got a battery indicator in there. You know, your, it shows your, your drive space, how much you've used, how much is free, RAM memory usage, and so forth. Breaks everything down. And then uh, as well as you can, you can interrogate and look at your different processes you have going on and filter them however you, you see fit. The options for BPytop is pretty much the same as BashTop, which... My understanding is BPytop replaces BashTop. Regardless, they're both really good applications, but BPytop does seem like a successor to it. 
And uh, so some things that I really like about it, B-Pytop cleverly uses some of the less commonly seen ASCII characters to almost suspend the idea that you're in a text-only terminal. It gives the uh, impression or the possibility that it's a, a, a graphically driven tool. It's, it's very modern looking, especially for a terminal application. Not to say nothing against terminal applications, love the terminal. But it's, uh, it's very useful, and, it's, and the, the refinement is, is definitely seen in uh, BPyTop. The multiple display modes in this application is done really well, likely through some sort of uh, user feedback mechanism. The three display modes allows you to configure it in a way that best suits your requirements. Well, I prefer full. Filling the terminal window with just the system statistics would also be pretty great too, like, you know, in Tmux, when you want to throw it in another pane or whatnot. In my kitchen, I have a computer, and I use it all the time, and I have this little wireless keyboard, this Logitech K400+. Plus, and I, I knew better. I really, really knew better. But I, I rinsed off my hands. I didn't properly dry them. And I took them over the keyboard, and I just, like, made, made the keyboard sopping wet, and uh, I tried to, you know, blow it off and turn it upside down and everything else, and the keyboard stopped working. My fault, obviously. I threw up my pile of things to be fixed. I really didn't get to it for a while. And so then I decided, you know, I really miss using that keyboard. I had one plugged in, and so it was very inconvenient because I had to, I had to leave it in a certain spot real on the window. It, just, it was just a terrible setup, and, and I was it just wasn't convenient. I, I didn't like it. So anyway, I um I took the keyboard apart, and I peeled apart the different layers of the this Mylar uh, assembly, I guess you want to call it, this, this uh, layers of Mylar that had the different contacts, and traces and everything else. And so what I did was I, I using, using some, uh, some isopropyl alcohol, I, I cleaned all the like brown, who knows what it was, uh, dirt combined with soap, combined with, you know, whatever was in the water that rent that washed inside the, the keyboard. You know, after I cleaned those, I tested it. Everything worked. Now, what I'm, I'm happy to report that after weeks, several weeks of usage, it seems to be working really well. Initially, I'd have like some issues where the L key wouldn't register or I'd have to hit a bunch of times before it started registering. Uh, that, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. The L key is working. All the keys seem to be working. No problem. It, it's like it never even happened. And so what I learned was I must be more careful as to not mix dirty, soapy dishwater and the keyboard again. I don't want to have to perform this fix ever. But if you'd like to check out how I did the fix and what it looks like, I have a link to that in the show notes, in my blatherings. I don't know what you want to call it. I was given an incredible gift by my former employer as a parting gift, an HP EliteBook 840G7. I kind of left it in the box for a while. I didn't really care because I'm, I've am i been pretty happy with my Latitude E6440, even though it's a fourth-gen Intel, but it's an i7, and it, it runs great. I don't have problems with it. It's just it's a, been a great machine, so I just didn't care. I left it in the box until I was kind of shamed for not taking it out. So I took it out. I ran the, uh, the, the proper install registration, whatever, of Windows 10, and after about... 30, 45 seconds or so, I couldn't take Windows 10 anymore, and I installed OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. The, uh, the installation process was great, didn't have any problems. Well, I should say I did have some issue. It was the uh, the sound driver, kernel driver, didn't install automatically, so I had to go manually install that. It's like it was selected, but didn't install. I don't really know why. Anyway, after the uh, Tumbleweed installed, I've been using it, and then uh, it had 8 gigs of RAM and a 250 gigabyte-ish NVMe SSD. I think I'm saying that correctly. If not, please correct me. So I couldn't, you know, I guess only so much I could do with it. And then I decided that, you know, this machine is really pretty great. The uh, the, it's, the aluminum body is nice. It's light. Uh, I could, you know, take it anywhere. It's so much lighter than my, my Latitude, which is, you know, quite a bit thicker and actually bigger, even though they're both 14-inch chassis. So I decided to upgrade it. I uh, I got a 32 gigabyte SODIMM, and I put in a one terabyte NVMe. And I'm really impressed with just how much I can use this machine now. Uh, I mean, it's, it actually, this machine now has the most memory of any computer in my house. 
include my server, which, you know, I guess shame on me for not having a better desktop. But anyway, it's, uh, I, I can see myself using this machine for quite a while. What I like about it is that I can upgrade the BIOS from the, uh, the BIOS tool as long as I plug in a, uh, an Ethernet adapter, which I do happen to have a USB-C to Ethernet, so it could recognize that and utilize that in the BIOS. I like how serviceable it is. It's easy to take apart. It's like five screws on the bottom, and they're captive screws, so I don't have, they don't lose them when you take them out. The pan, basically, like it pops off. You have access to all the, the innards. I, I haven't actually explored to see the, um, the CPU, if it's replaceable or not, but the heatsink is, re is removable. Uh, it has a, a lithium polymer battery in, in there as well which it says it's not user service user replaceable but I absolutely think it's user replaceable I mean it's what four screw four or five screws that hold it in and it's got a little little connector inside there little like a molex type connector it's a great machine I think the elite book is actually the nicest HP machine I've ever used it's actually much nicer than the computers that the that my previous employer had me use while I was there as far as it's a better keyboard it's lighter I think the, the GPU is not as good but for what I do it's absolutely perfect and I, I really enjoy using this computer I wouldn't say it's my main system. It's kind of like, it's like my additional main system. So I, I, mean, I still use my latitude just as much. Well, not as much. I still use my latitude at my standing desk. It does all my recording, do my editing on it. But when I'm writing or something, I need to just kind of sit someplace, like on the couch or on the, on the porch or wherever, I, I take this Elite Book instead. Now, would I buy this Elite Book? Not for the price that it's going for right now, but probably a generation or two old, I absolutely would, as long as it's just as serviceable. So like... In a year, would I buy this machine used? Yeah, I probably would because it is so well put together. I did also add some stickers to it because uh, I need more of an open SUSE feel to it. So I did put uh, the, the button logo on the uh, on the palm rest and I put the, the open SUSE logo on the lid to cover up the HP. Not because I'm not proud that it's an HP, but just because I like open SUSE better. And with the new computer, I ended up retiring my Dell Latitude D630. It's been a great machine. I've had it since 2007, but I really wasn't using it very much anymore. The, the, every time I replaced the battery, they wouldn't last very long. The, batteries, the battery stock is getting kind of old. I really couldn't use it on the go. Uh, the, the NVIDIA GPU in it hasn't been supported anymore by NVIDIA, so I had to use the open source drivers and the Nuevo drivers, which are unfortunately a bit ropey. You know, sometimes they, they just kind of flicker a lot. It's just, just annoying to use. I did sudo zipper up the thing before I, I shut it down, and I, I'll turn it back on again and, and keep it updated every every few months. It's been a great machine. It's just you know no longer in active service anymore, but I, I do have a lot of fondness for the D630. I think it's a a well-built machine. It traveled around the world with me, and I, I'm just not ready to get rid of it. I'll probably hang on to it until it stops working entirely. But it's a good machine, just not good for me right now. In my open SUSE corner, Tomo gets the newest KDE frameworks and Plasma. So I'm now running Plasma 5.21. It's been there since snapshot 2021-02-15. It runs great. I've, uh, I've tested the Wayland support. Wayland looks really good. There's just some applications that just can't deal with Wayland yet, so I'm still going to be using X11. Wayland is so buttery smooth that I, I really look forward to the time when we can actually switch to that full-time. I'm not sure if there's a way to get X applications just to run in Wayland, but I don't know what that is at this time, nor have I explored it because, well, X works. It's just not as buttery smooth. There's just something it's just so crisp and smooth about Wayland. I, I'm, I've never actually been a big you know, hey, he's Waylon kind of guy, but Waylon looks so good as far as like the, the desktop effects and just how, how interacting with the desktop. There's just, I feel like maybe is the refresh rate higher? Are they doing something? There's some kind of magic sauce that I can't really uh, pick out. Some kind of a je ne sais quoi that, that is there, but I can't describe it. So it looks really good. Try it out. See if you can use it. For the most part, uh, I think it's ready. There's just some applications that are not ready yet. That's my opinion. 
The system settings menu has been changed a little bit. I don't know how I feel about it. I kind of like how it was, but the uh, the current system settings, they have all the, the look and feel is under one. You, you click on that and that opens that up in the in the icon view. I kind of like how it was previously, but you know, whatever. It It's literally whatever. I, I don't, I'm not that concerned about it. I can still do all the things I want to do. I, I like how some of the, the windows look a little bit better as far as the uh, the layout. I feel like they keep refining all the little bits and bobs of the of, of Plasma. It looks good. No regressions as far as appearance and usability at all. Everything is really top-notch. So all OpenSUSE services now in Provo Database Center support IPv6. We've been talking about IP version 6, I think, for the last 20 years. How it's the next standard and you know, get ready for it. So 20 years later, here we are. I see the, uh, the, the purpose of IP6 because we're running out of IPv4 addresses. So we need to have, you know, the newer addresses and so forth. Rest assured, the IPv4 and 6 will cohabitate a dual stack. And so if, if you, for whatever reason, can't access IPv6 addresses, not a problem. You still, you're, you're still all set. The new OpenSUSE Step Project looks to build SUSE Linux Enterprise on more architectures. The new OpenSUSE project called OpenSUSE Step is a community effort to rebuild SUSE Linux Enterprise from the release SLE sources package. It is done openly in the SUSE and the OpenSUSE instance of the Open Build service, with the intention to stay fully binary compatible and be as closely source compatible as possible with SLE. So OpenSUSE Leap 15.3 inherits the base from SLE 15 Service Pack 3, and it works on an ARM architecture 64-bit, PowerPC 64, and x86-64. OpenSUSE directly uses those binary packages from the enterprise side. In addition, OpenSUSE also provides architecture that SLE does not provide, such as ARM version 7 and 32-bit x86, which is relatively popular with OpenSUSE users. So how is this related to OpenSUSE Leap? Well, the, the, they're closing the Leap Gap. There was the Jump project some time ago, and that proof of concept is done. So Leap will be a layered cake of binary packages from all three origins. The pool of binary packages directly copied from SLE, a small set of, of currently around 50 packages that provide an OpenSUSE branding overlay to the SLE packages, and OpenSUSE backports overlay, which provides a wealth of applications and libraries that everyone likes to use in OpenSUSE Leap that are, well, not available in SLE. OpenSUSE Step provides an alternative for Leap architecture that have no SLE equivalent like 32-bit architectures. The other two groups of originated packages will be the same like from any other architecture. So now how is this related to OpenSUSE Tumbleweed? It's not. Tumbleweed is a rolling release that's a community-managed project, but Tumbleweed is the origin for the next major release of SLE. So there's no direct general relationship between Tumbleweed and maintained SLE releases. Tumbleweed is the upstream. If you'd like to contact the OpenSUSE step team, they're on Freenode and it's on GitHub. It has been decided they're reducing the scope of software at OpenSUSE.org. So it's kind of exciting. They've decided to make things easier to maintain and manage in the OpenSUSE world. They decided to drop some functionality behind software.opensuse.org or the marketplace instead provided a redirect to git.opensuse.org that makes for less maintenance on the uh, on the folks running the uh, OpenSUSE show. So both sites were offering similar functionality for downloading and install media. Both sites had to be updated with every alpha, beta, or changes made to the descriptions. This new reduced scope of software.opensuse.org will be purely browsing of available software. The scope of Git, OpenSUSE.org, won't change. It'll be where all the media downloads take place and point us to relevant documentation and such for installation. So you can check it out. There's a, a cleanup of the assets, as it were, get.opensuse.org to get the version of OpenSUSE that you want. For my tumbleweed roundup, I'm going to kind of rapid fire these. Snapshot 2021-0209 has a stable score of 96. 2021-0210 has a stable score of 92. 
2021-02, 12 as a moderate score of 84. This is a full rebuild based on glibc 2.33. Now for me, I had some issues with this snapshot that required uh, filing some bugs, and or a bug rather, and some intervention on my part. It appears that the issue wasn't common to everybody, but some people did run into an issue that DNS was broken. Snapshot 2021-02-15 has a stable score of 93. 02-17, stable score of 94. 02-18 has a stable 97. 02-19 has a pending stable score of 99, so basically perfect. 02-20 has a pending stable of 99. And the uh, snapshot... 2021-02-22 as a pending moderate of 76. If you're running an NVIDIA GPU, it's not recommended you, you update at this time. You will end up with a system that, that will not boot. So just keep that in mind. If you are not running NVIDIA, then this is not a problem and feel free to roll ahead. I'm not running NVIDIA, so I have no problems. There'll be a link to all the reviews in my show notes, so feel free to check those out. I always like to dig through them for my computer history retrospective. Now, this is my segment where I like to look back in time and see how the world of technology has advanced and how things have stayed the same. I find we often forget how far we've come and how good we have it, while not always remembering how we got there. Having some historical perspective on computers and technology can help to drive some appreciation for what we have today. On a Computer Chronicles episode on artificial intelligence from 1984, I found it incredibly fascinating. Now, this is not one of my more favorite episodes. I don't, artificial intelligence is not necessarily a subject that I get all excited about. It's something I appreciate. But at the point of artificial intelligence in 1984 was not just to duplicate human intelligence, but to duplicate the end results. The then current application of AI was used in the form of like expert systems, which you know, looking back today seems pretty rudimentary. But the expert systems of the time would respond to user input much like queries that we have on modern day search engines. At the time, these expert systems would require you know, enormous computational power to dissect and, and process user input in some cases. Today, we can enjoy it all of that without any cost or really much effort on our parts, which were the fruits of these efforts that were laid down in 1984. So these early expert systems for microcomputers were really quite rudimentary in respect that they would lead you to a solution in the most simplistic form. So the purpose of this was essentially to make like vast knowledge databases available to a wider audience. And the, the examples that were given diagnosing medical conditions based on the symptoms. So it can, you know, help somebody who's maybe less of an expert have access to this information and, and get to, hopefully, the correct answer. So I recommend you check this out. It's very interesting. I, I like the uh, the nerdiness combined with the three-piece suits of the 1980s. It's just such a great combination to uh, to watch Computer, Computer Chronicles on, on YouTube. And as an aside, at the end of the video, about 27 minutes in or so, there is a portion called Random Access, which, you know, it's kind of a play, Random Access Memory, Random Access whatever. And the software review is rather enjoyable about a game or application to help you make better bets with Blackjack. What is particularly amusing is to me how the graphics are described as being crisp, the table green, the cards realistic, and the sound is good too. And I know for the time this is the case, but the descriptions just don't hold up today. You know, when you look at it, it the graphics don't look crisp. Oh, sure, I mean, they're clearly defined, but it's just not a, uh, it's not what I would consider realistic. But, you know, it's understandable and defined. Or well-defined, I should say. So it's just food for thought. You know, should you describe a bit of software or hardware today, you know, it the description may not hold up. I must say, though, I love the early time of computer graphics. The innocence and the optimism. We were so happy with the color and sound that we got. Excited, even. That I wish you'd be so gracious today with open source applications, or any applications for that matter. Perhaps being a bit more grateful for the tools and the capabilities we have today would lead to more smiles on a daily basis. As I'm prone to say... At the conclusion of these noodlings, thank you for taking the time to listen to this bit of nerdy nonsense. If you have any corrections, addendums, or comments, feel free to send them to me 
at cubiclenate.com. For more of my nonsense, visit cubiclenate.com and use any method you like on that contact page. I'll get to it as quickly as I can. Until next time, see you.